I want to share with you guys a little bit about um, just the struggle of being a pastor. Um, how, how many unique challenges come with it. You might, you might think the late night phone calls, the burden for the church, these kind of things you read about in the New Testament are the, the hardest parts of being a pastor. For me personally, those this things can be difficult at times. Figuring out how to end an email is really tough. There's so much pressure on like the pastoral ending of an email. It's gotta be novel, yet classic. It's got to be completely uh, biblical, yet not too spiritual sounding. Things like blessings, it's, it's been taken. I can't use that anymore. Um, yours in Christ, that's, that's a little, uh, I don't know, I feel like I'm putting myself in the place of the Apostle Paul with that. I just don't feel quite comfortable um, with yours in Christ. Sincerely, oh, that's not spiritual enough. That's like 90s elementary school sounding. Uh, that doesn't quite work. And then if you, if you have, did someone just disagree with that publicly? That's, um, I was in elementary school in the 90s. That's, that's why I can say that. Um, and, uh, and if you have some super spiritual sounding into an email like, um, here, what, what, blessings in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ until he returns in glory. Um, you might score some extra brownie points, but then what do you do when you're emailing to buy like a coffee maker on Craigslist for the church? Do you still leave that ending or do you compromise your integrity and just, you know, say uh, something different? It's tough. And I've never quite gotten it down. Now, this issue of greetings and closings, it's been around for quite a while because people have had these type of things ever since language was being put on paper. 2,000 years, here's my transition. <laughs> a couple thousand years ago, people wrote a lot of letters in Greek and the conventional, at the time it was the greeting, kind of the end of the way we close emails and letters and all that, it was at the beginning, and we see that in the New Testament. Uh, but the way that people typically started these letters was they said greetings and then some kind of wish for health. Greetings and then some kind of wish for good health. At least from the 4th century BC to the 4th century AD, that was like the way that Greek letters were started. The Apostle Paul, writing in the New Testament, lots of letters, did things a little bit differently. He did things in a very special, a very unique way that was different than the way that Greek letters were written at the time. And in just about all his letters, his chosen greeting was of peace and grace. Peace and grace. See that? We've been going through part of just a little tiny section of Galatians the last few weeks. So we see that at the beginning of Galatians. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. These concepts are so important that Paul, I, I've wrestled for a second over my like pastoral closing of emails. I think Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, thought about this for a second and decided to use these words to address Christians. And now these words have echoed all over the nations and throughout the century, throughout the centuries, grace and peace to you. Um, tonight, we're going to talk about peace, biblical peace, this idea that we all desperately long for. It's a fundamental need of ours, and it's so, so important, yet it can be elusive. I think for many of us, it can feel very elusive. 
And I think this is a timely message for us, for our church and our culture, grabbing hold of the peace of God through the Holy Spirit. And I hope tonight that each one of us can really take a step internally with our actions, living in light of the peace of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray that that becomes a reality this evening. Lord, thank you for your power working inside of us, Lord. Thank you that we're not alone in here. God, you are with us. Lord, thank you that you've given us your spirit. God, thank you that you've given us your word and your great and precious promises to set us free, to guide us, to give us what we need to live as disciples of Jesus Christ. I pray tonight, Lord, that you would help us to grab hold more fully of the fruit of the spirit that is peace, Lord. Lord, uh, so many of us are struggling with anxiety and depression, worry. Lord, and, and we don't, we don't want to be, God. We don't want to be, Lord. And I pray that you would lead us and guide us and give us strength and power that um, is foreign from just within ourselves, Lord. We need you, God. We need you. And I, I pray that you'd speak truthfully through me tonight, God, that you'd help us to respond to your word and your guidance, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, we're gonna go through a few passages tonight, quite a few passages, actually. Um, and I wanna just remind us of kind of where we're starting. We've been going through this section in Galatians talking about the fruit of the Spirit. And in Galatians 5.16, we're commanded as believers to walk in the Spirit, to walk in step with the Spirit. Now, we... Um, we can't take credit for this at all, walking in the Spirit. But our effort is required. To be with God and obedient to Christ in such a way that his character, his character qualities, qualities become deeply embedded in us. This is what it means to walk in the Spirit. Can't do it on our own strength. But we have been indwelt by the Spirit of power who by his grace gives us what we need to walk in step with him. Surrendering our will, <clears throat> truly saying, Jesus Christ, I wanna follow you, I wanna submit my desires to you, my actions to you, my thoughts to you, my relationships to you, my decisions to you, all of these things. And what is produced internally when we embark on such an endeavor? What grows naturally out of this life of obedience to Jesus Christ? spurred on by the Spirit. These are found in the passage we've been looking at the past few weeks. Let's, let's go back to that. Uh, Galatians 5, 22 through 26. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, provoking and envying each other. Biblical peace. Tonight, our focus is this fruit, this internal outworking of the Holy Spirit, that is peace. So biblically, what, what is that? 
there's three categories that I can think of when the Bible speaks to peace. And the first and foremost is peace with God. Let me read, um, and go ahead and turn, turn there with me if you would. Ephesians chapter 2, which is the very next book from Galatians. And I'm going to read the first five verses here. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, because of what Jesus did, our fundamental, the the nature of our relationship with God has been completely transformed. We were enemies of God, trapped in sin, and by nature, because of our sin, our sinful choices, our sinful thoughts, our sinful hearts, objects of wrath, at war with God, going against God. Now, you might not feel like that. If, and for me, I look back on my life before I came to know Christ, and it's very easy. It's very plain to see. Yes, I was going against God. No question about it. Those around me could even see that. Some of you may feel that way. Some of you look back on your past and I was a pretty good kid. I was okay. But what we read in the scriptures is that no matter the, the outworkings, our heart, because of our sinful choices, our sinful thoughts, our hearts were in opposition to God. We were his enemies. We were not at peace with him. This is our natural state unless he comes in and changes the deal. And that is what he did by taking the penalty of our sins upon himself on the person of Jesus Christ on the cross. And now that penalty has been paid and we can be at peace with God, living with him, in relationship with him, loved by him. Um, And our really greatest, deepest need, both here and for all of eternity, can be satisfied in an actual restored relationship with God through Jesus Christ. So this is the first thing that is peace. It's the, it's, it's the first step, really, of biblical, the fruit of the Spirit that is peace. That is peace in our relationship with God by accepting the free gift of Jesus' death, his suffering for our sins, and his resurrection from the dead, putting our trust in him. Okay, so the second thing when the Bible and the New Testament talks about peace is peace with one another. So I'm going to just go a little bit farther ahead here in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14 through 16 here. For he himself, speaking of Jesus here, he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. By setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross 
by which he put to death their hostility. So what are these two groups that uh, Paul is writing about here? It's the Jews and the Gentiles, which make up all people in the world. You're either a Jew or a Gentile. There's no other category. And um, for the Jews at the time, this was scandalous that non-Jewish people without, adjo- without adopting the Jewish ceremonial law could be brought into the kingdom of God and could be brought into this new humanity that Jesus Christ was creating. So this may not seem far-fetched to us now, but at the time it was absolutely radical that God was bringing together Jews and Gentiles who have professed faith in Jesus Christ to be one family, to be one group, to have not just a restored relationship with God, but because of that, a restored relationship with one another. And that, if you know Christ, is the situation that you're in right now. You are part of this. If you know Jesus Christ, you are part of this new humanity. No matter your backgrounds, no matter your race, no matter the things you've done, no matter your gender, no matter your experiences, you are part of the family of God. Um, This is his promise. And as members of the family of God, as children of the same father, we're to have peace with one another. We're to love one another. We're not to be at war with each other. We're not to have long-standing grievances against each other. But even further than that, a restored relationship with God and a restored relationship to those in the body of Christ should and must influence the way that we interact with those outside of the body of Christ. We're to do everything we can, as far as it is up to us, to live at peace with all men, with all people. To not be those who create conflict, to not be those filled with bitterness, but to be peacemakers, not just in this room or in our houses, but in a world that is incredibly hostile. Here's the third thing, this, this third category. And this is the peace of God internal. Let me read from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 11. I think this is a wonderful description of what this kind of peace looks like. In Matthew eleven twenty-eight. 28. Jesus calls his people, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the invitation of Jesus Christ to internal peace that comes from knowing him. This is that, that calm, secure, restful feeling, our, conscious, our conscience at ease, clarity of thought. When, when you feel at war with yourself, this is the feeling like when the treaty is signed and both sides hug each other. I don't know if that happens very often when wars end, but I think it has happened. Um, 
This is like that feeling, but inside of your heart and your mind. This is the ability to live without compartmentalizing. It's, it's not just uh, like metaphorically cleaning the room and shoving everything in the closet to where you open the door and it all falls out and um, your mom knows or your wife knows that you didn't really clean. <laughs> um, it's, it's like uh, a full-fledged cleaning where you've gone into every nook and cranny when the closet doors are open. And there's not just stuff there that's ready to explode at a moment's notice. This is when the Spirit of God gives you freedom over the the deeply held, untrue beliefs you have in your subconscious. The Spirit is able to give us peace and freedom even over those lies and show us deeply, deeply what the truth really is. This is inward Sabbath rest. And it is the, the antonym of anxiety. So this type of peace is what I want to address for the remainder of the message here. And the reason for that is we live arguably right now in the most anxious society ever to exist. 40 million or one in five American adults has a diagnosed anxiety disorder. This, this fall, Ohio State, and I've never heard of the university doing this before, began reaching out to different groups, uh, expressing concern because 60% of incoming freshmen were on medication for either anxiety or depression. 30% of, thir- you heard that correctly, 60%. 30% of teen girls and 20% of teen boy- boys have a diagnosed anxiety disorder, according to the National Institute of Mental Health. Now, why? I think that's an obvious question that comes up, right? Why? And and I want to be very clear with this. I I can't say why for an individual. I can hardly say why for myself. Um, That's complicated. It's complex. You're a complex person. You have unique experiences and thoughts and struggles and strengths. And so I don't want anyone in here to feel like tonight as we talk about peace and anxiety that you're getting a, a diagnosis. Um, that's, that's not what this is. And, and really, I don't know that we can say for certain um, why we are particularly anxious as a society. There's something in our, our nature that gravitates towards anxiety. And in particular, in particular, wealthy nations have... Uh, higher rates, significantly higher rates of anxiety reported. Among the world powers, America is by far the most prosperous nation according to the GDP per capita and according to our influence, and we're the most anxious. These two go together in that way at least, but it's not just, anxiety is not just a product of affluence because I, I was kind of surprised to learn this. Within Affluent countries, within the most affluent countries, it is um, the least affluent who are more statistically given towards anxiety. So I I say that because the solution to anxiety is not purely um, getting rid of our resources. That's that's not it. That's That's not the answer. There's so many potential obstacles 
I think, that stand in the way of peace uniquely in our culture. Um, living in the age of social media, 24-7 news cycle, um, just texting, having our phones with us all the time. Um, we're spending less time fighting for basic necessities, food and water and, and housing. Um, and perhaps uh, we have a little more time to worry about various things in life. Um, we may also be more comfortable talking about anxiety. There, there, there may be some level of the fact that uh, people have been anxious in the past, they're anxious now, and, and we feel a bit more freedom to discuss these things with one another, maybe more freedom than other cultures. It's kind of hard to say. <laughs> exactly. Um, yet I think it's important for us to recognize that anxiety is, is kind of a, a default in our culture in particular. Here's a little section from a Time Magazine piece I was reading on the epidemic of anxiety. This is particularly as it relates to teens, but this, this is becoming the world really for all of us, not just teens. So start quote. If you wanted to create an environment to churn out really angsty people, we've done it, says Janice Whitlock, director of Cornell Research Program on Self-Injury and Recovery. Sure, parental micromanaging can be a factor, as can school stress, but Whitlock doesn't think those, doesn't think those things are the main drivers of this ep epidemic. And here's Whitlock again. It's that they're in a cauldron of stimulus they can't get away from, or don't want to get away from, or don't know how to get away from. In my dozens of conversations with teens, parents, clinicians, and school counselors across the country, there was a pervasive sense that being a teenager today is a draining full-time job that includes doing schoolwork, managing a social media identity, and fretting about career, climate change, sexism, racism, you name it. Every fight or slight is documented online for hours or days after the incident. It is exhausting. We're the first generation that cannot escape our problems at all, says Faith Ann, who is quoted, um, throughout this article. We're all like little volcanoes. We're getting this constant pressure from our phones, from our relationships, from the way things are today. And I, I think that's so true. It's so clear. We all see it. We feel it in so many ways. And I just want to say that this is not the way it must be for followers of Jesus Christ. Yes, this is the world we live in, but we belong to another kingdom. We have another king. And our citizenship is not here. It is elsewhere. There is something different. There is something better for each one of us. Um, I, I want to just go through a list of kind of eight things to live by, eight principles to live by in walking in step with the spirit of peace. Before we do that, I think there are a few things that if we don't, if we're not on the same page, it's kind of a non-starter with these, with these eight things. So number one, this is so key. I think this is so key for us. Anxiety, it is a human problem, and it is not driven by circumstances. What I mean by that is for me to, to, to think when I get to the next life station, if I could get married, if we just have children, if our children turn out in a particular way, if they would just listen to me every once in a while, if I get a raise, if I had a different boss, if I had a different girlfriend or boyfriends, if I was better looking, 
if I was smarter. Sometimes we can think that our anxiety is produced by these circumstantial things, and it's not. It's deeply within our hearts and our minds. Um, And if we're counting on the next thing to free us from anxiety, we've got an idol in our lives that's going to come crashing down. And, And we will never, ever break free from anxiety if that's our mindset. If you think it's just the next achievement or next circumstantial change. Another, um, another non-starter here, I think it's just a, a lack of belief that you can live in victory over anxiety. Now, I'm not saying you should think you never, are never going to struggle with anxiety again. But some of us, man, some of us have struggled so deeply. And if that is you, my heart breaks for you. <clears throat> anxiety dominates your mind every single day of your life, the decisions you make and the decisions you don't make. And I, I hope tonight, I, I just, I want to encourage you. It, it may not be, may not be easy. It won't be easy. But just because it's hard fought, and it will be hard fought, it does not mean that you should not have this expectation that as a child of God, you can and will live in freedom from anxiety, walking in victory. I don't mean that it's not going to be a struggle or a temptation, but not a, a dominant encumbrance upon your life or a wall that you cannot get past. That is not God's desire or his design for you. He wants you to break free from anxiety and live in this Matthew 11 reality of of coming to him and experiencing Jesus Christ, taking your worry and your burdens upon himself. He can handle it. He can truly handle it in ways that we cannot. That's his desire for you, and that is part of his plan for you. Now, the third thing before we jump into this kind of list, for some of you, this is, this is a really complex battle. You may have a diagnosed mental illness. I do, many of us do here, no doubt of that. And I am in no way advocating that you should feel bad about or abandon the treatment that you're undergoing right now or the counseling that you've been engaging in. Um, I hope that you feel a sense of freedom as we strive to walk these things out And yet, if you're in that camp or in any other, let's elevate the word of God. Let's elevate it as first and foremost when we think about anxiety or when we think about any topic. God has something to say. He has something to say about walking in peace and freedom from anxiety. So, okay, let me just lay out kind of eight different ways that we're called to walk in step with the spirit of peace. Number one, seek first his kingdom. So you may have heard this command and promise from Matthew, seek seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. This really is in the context of Jesus talking about um, material wealth and greed. 
We're called to seek first his kingdom, to seek first the kingdom of Jesus Christ, to seek first his agenda, his priority, what will last, what he is building, what Jesus Christ himself is building. and began to build during this three-year period of earthly ministry. So what does that mean? I, I, for those of you who have great potential, and so many of you do, to, to generate wealth, Personally, I, I want you to be wealthy. I want you to do extremely well. I want you to make lots of money and be generous with it and use the gift that God's given you in that way, if that's you. But for me, more so than being afraid of you stepping out and taking some business risk or stepping out and taking some risk of a promotion at your job or um, the challenge of a, a new major that's going to have great career um, uh, ramifications, more so than being afraid of you failing at that, I, I, I'm afraid of your success in a way that is distracting from the kingdom of God. Your success in such a way that, that you love money or status more than Jesus Christ and his kingdom. This is a trap. If you're a college student right now, you may not feel it, you probably don't feel it, but it is a trap. Once you get out of the college housing environment, it is a trap to, to, to not to make money, but to love money, to love money. What, what are you thinking about? What are your goals? What are your aspirations? What really drives you? Is it that deal? Is it your own personal status, wealth or prominence, influence? Or is it the kingdom of God? Um, loving money is a surefire way to be trapped in a constant state of anxiety. Because that money's not going to last, right? There's no promises. There's no guarantees. The economy's going to come down at some point, and then it's going to go back up. But at the end of the day, none of it will last. None of it will last. And so if that's my God, if that's my ambition, I'm living in a, such a tenuous way that my expectation should be anxiety, yet not for the follower of Christ. Whether you have little or whether you have plenty, we are called to seek first the kingdom of God and have his desires be ours and his priorities be ours. Okay, uh, second, second thing here. Second way of walking in step with the Spirit. This is to give thanks to be a person of thanksgiving. Um, turn with, would you turn with me here to Philippians chapter four? Right after Ephesians, where we just were. This is just a tremendous promise from Philippians four. starts with the commands in verse six. Do not be anxious about anything. And if it, if it was just left there, we'd be left wanting. But it continues. Instead, instead of giving into anxiety, in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, 
present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is a tremendous practice and gift that God's given us. Every single one of us has reasons to be anxious, right? I mean, we're, we're, if Jesus doesn't come back first, we're all going to grow old and die. We're going to go through some difficult things. We're going to go through trials and tragedy at some point. There are earthly reasons to be anxious. Yet, when we as children of God refuse to accept anxiety as the, the default way of life for us and give thanks to God, when you're struggling, when you're worried, when you are feeling it, when your mind is at war, when you cannot sleep at night, when your, your stomach hurts when you wake up in the morning, just thinking about what you're going to do or the way people are going to think of you. I'm not saying it's just some heartless ritual. Ask the Lord to bring you to this place. Praise his name. Worship him. Give him thanks for the things that he's done. Think of the gospel. Thank him for the pain that he took upon himself, the suffering that he endured, the love he's displayed for you. Think of the resurrection from the dead and the promises that we have. Give him thanks. Be a person that in every situation, in every season, in every trial, in every joy, praises the Lord, giving him thanks. First and foremost, like every day, every day, every morning. And with that, with that, ask God boldly, for what you need and what you want. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to feel bad. You do not need to give God 50 disclaimers. I'd like this, but, you know, I, just ask him boldly what you want and what you desire. He's not going to give it. He, he, know, he knows your heart. Just ask him. How does, how does a father or mother want their child to feel in their presence? Do they want them to cower in fear, asking for a raise in their allowance? No, they, they don't. They might not give them what they, if they ask for $1,000 a week, they probably won't give that to them, but they want them to feel free. God wants us to praise him, to thank him, and to feel absolute freedom, to make requests of him, to ask big things and small things of him, to live that life every single day. Um, and as we do, as we do, here's the simple promise in Philippians 4. The peace of God, which transcends all understanding. So when it doesn't make sense in your life, when things are really, really, really tough, when you're dealing with tragedy and sorrow, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is an unbelievable gift that God has given to his children um, and I, you know, I'm, I'm giving this message at a time where I need to hear it personally. I, I want to say that, um, I, I'm capable of being stuck in the malaise of our culture that produces anxiety so easily, just like anyone. But this promise, man, it, it is just, I, I, I've experientially, I'm so thankful for the peace that God in some of the hardest times as a follower of Christ in my life times of, of sorrow, 
Peace and sorrow can coexist. Peace and anxiety, they, they can't really coexist. Peace and sorrow can. And so in times of sorrow, in times of tears, in times of confusion, praising God, seeing him come through, asking him for, for situations and scenarios and trials to change, but knowing the peace of the Holy Spirit. Man, it is such a gift. And I pray that every single person in this room tonight experiences that and believes not just because you've read it, but because you've walked it. And the peace of God transcends all understanding. Number three here, um, to be still. Psalm 46.10, be still and know that I am God. Sometimes you've got to just shut up and sit before the Lord. You have no words to say. There's no way that you could express what you're feeling. Lord, I know that you are God. I trust you. I trust you. To know and believe that our God is the greatest conceivable being. He is above all things. There's no power that has authority over him. There's no surprise. There's nothing that takes him off guard. He is sovereign. I'm not saying that he wills or wants everything to happen, but he is in control. And he will use all things some way, somehow, for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Sometimes you don't have the words to say, but you've got to shut off the noise and be still and know that God is God and he is sovereign. The fourth thing here, we're called to set our minds on things above. Colossians 3, right after Philippians. Colossians 3, 1 through 4. Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Our future position is so secure that it's, if, it's as if we were seated with Christ right now in heaven. But the promise here in this passage, and maybe you missed it, but what Paul is saying is that Jesus Christ is coming back. There is a future that is coming from heaven for all Christ followers that is glorious and awesome and wonderful. And these are the kind of things that we're called to meditate on. These are the kind of things we can get excited about. These are the kind of things we can fantasize about and get stoked about and be thinking about as we go to bed, as we wake up in the morning. Jesus is coming back. And he is going to make everything good and everything right once and for all time. This is, I think, really hard for us right now. It's really, it's not too hard. It's not impossible. There's no culture where people can't obey the commands of God. But it's hard for us because there are so many distractions. And we didn't see it coming 
When the iPhone came out, we all got the smartphones. Super cool, look what you can do, find my friends, all these things. Facebook, yes. And we've just, we've been, I think, maybe not everyone in here, but so many of us, we've been lulled into this way of living life where our minds are just so often not on the things of God. How many of us, the last thing we look at before we go to bed is uh, Facebook or reading the news or, or um, just focusing on earthly problems, possessions. I think so many of us are in that place. And if that's you, man, don't feel ashamed of that, but know there's a, there's a better way to live. There is a much better way to live. I think for me, a litmus test of where just I'm at in my life and what, what am I thinking about? What am I meditating on? Am I setting my mind on the things above? Is uh, what am I thinking about when I go to bed and what am I thinking about when I wake up? Just a simple thing you can do is just right before you fall asleep, meditate on a, Bi- a Bible verse. Get his word into your mind and your heart. The very last thing you can do. Um, Okay, moving forward here. And I'm just going to roll through some of these. I think we got a little bit of a late start tonight. And we got, we got a baptism coming up in a few minutes. Number five, to walk in step with the spirit of peace, love your enemies. You cannot walk in peace and hold hatred in your heart. I don't care who the person is, whether they're part of the body of Christ or they're not in the body of Christ. We cannot walk in step with the spirit of peace and hate someone who God has created. No matter how they've insulted us, no matter how absurd their worldview is, even if they oppose you with every fiber of their being, even if they oppose the gospel message, Jesus simply commands us to love our enemies. And man, there is freedom in that. You pray for that heart, God, I'm struggling with hatred, towards this person, maybe that I know who's hurt me or wronged me. Maybe it's some, um, some public figure. I, I'm, I'm struggling to dehumanize them and, and hate them in my heart. God, I know you created them. I know you died for them. I know you love them. Help me to love this person. Maybe even someone that you've never met before. God does not want you to be trapped in that. And in fact, he, he, he compels us and commands us to break free from hatred. Um, and hatred produces tremendous anxiety in our hearts because it is not the way we were meant to live. It is quite the contrary to the, the peace that God has set us free to live in. Uh, number six here, confess sin and clear your conscience. We're called in James 5.16 to confess our sins to one another. This is part of the life of a believer to not struggle inwardly. And some of us in here tonight, we, just, we have unconfessed sins. Maybe unconfessed to God, maybe unconfessed to your brothers and sisters in Christ. It's not reasonable for us to have an expectation to walk in freedom from anxiety if we've got this skeleton that we're holding on to. And we're just trying, we're trying, we feel the spirit sometimes urging us to get it out, to, to talk about it, and we're just shoving it back in. Man, that is a war. That is a war. And there's just no reason for it. There's no reason for it. God wants you to live in freedom. He's forgiven the sins that you've committed. 
He's forgiven them. The blood of Jesus Christ covers them over. And we should feel free to talk about these things with one another. So um, maybe you don't know who, maybe you don't know where to start. Um, I would encourage you strongly, get involved in a smaller community, a home group. Uh, I'd be happy to talk with you as well as one of the pastors here. Um, Number seven, cultivate kingdom relationships. Relationships that are based on Jesus Christ, that are deep, that are not surface level. The the Proverbs in 1824, a, a man of many companions or unreliable friends comes to ruin. But there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And that is what we ought to be in the family of God, in the church. To be the, the friend that does not abandon you when you're struggling, that sticks by you, that knows you. There's so many ways I think that we can struggle with this. Um, but we have a real gift in the church. We have a real gift to be in a community where it, it, it is and should be the expectation that we know each other deeply. That should be our expect, expectation of the way we live in community with one another. So I just want to encourage you, jump, jump into that wholeheartedly. Okay, the last thing here. Slight dramatic pause. And this is this, these two words that Jesus, he said these 16 times in the Gospels. Take heart. Take heart. And he said it every time related to his presence and his ministry and what he was doing. Jesus can, can truly say these words. He can say these words to you. Take heart. Have courage. Have courage to live boldly. Have courage to live in a hostile world. Have courage to live in a world where death reigns supreme. Have courage. Take heart because of Jesus Christ. Because he is in control. He has conquered death. He is building a kingdom and a family for himself that will never fade. Think about the reality of the situation that we're in. That Jesus Christ is coming back to remake the world and to install his eternal kingdom. You can act courageously because of the presence of Jesus Christ in your life. Right now, he sits at the right hand of the Father interceding for you, but he's, he's also here we can't do that, but he can do that. He's also here with us to guide us and to love us in so many ways. And he's given you a vision worth fighting for. A vision to love him and follow him with all your heart. To love the church and to reach the lost. This is so much of what the, the life Jesus has called us into. It takes courage to love God, to love the church, to reach the lost. But take heart Take courage because of Jesus Christ. There may be a step, maybe one of these eight, maybe something that's not in here that God is really pressing on your heart tonight. And I, I want to encourage you to, 
share that with someone else, even before you leave tonight, share that with someone else and take action. Just take a step, move, move forward. Anxiety might not like disappear from your life like that. But let's live with the expectation that God is, is breaking us free from anxiety. Um, just the last minute here. My own story, I was so ridden with anxiety as a young person, shaking uncontrollably. The worst was when you got really anxious about armpit sweat, and that would make you sweat even more. You know, my whole body was like a pit stain, basically. Um, and I, I mean, really dominating anxiety. I'd get terrible stomach aches. Um, Zantac 75, baby. I took that stuff like it was the gospel back in the day. Um, and it, it helped a little bit, but not that much. <laughs> and even, all of these things are so important for us to walk, and we, we, should ex, we should not expect to really walk free from anxiety without these things in our lives. But number one thing, the number one thing, it's not on this list, it's just knowing that God loved me knowing that he loves me. The God of the universe really loves me. He cares for me. And so tonight, what, what is dominating your life and bringing anxiety in your life? Know that God loves you. He really loves you. He really loves you. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to break free from anxiety. Lord, we, we pray that you would help us to really live in the peace of the Holy Spirit, God. Thank you for your promises, Lord. And thank you that you love us, Lord. You love us more than we could ever articulate. And God, I, I pray that that truth, Lord, would give us what we need to take heart and live courageously in a hostile world, in a world where it's so, so difficult for us. and where we feel so trapped so often in anxiety. God, I, I pray for um, and ask for you to lead each one of us, Lord. Is there a step you want us to take? Is there some truth you want us to realize, recognize, and embrace? I pray that you'd show us and you'd lead us tonight, God. We love you so much. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.